Truth Jihad Radio is 100% crowdfunded and therefore fearless and independent. Please help us stay that way. You can subscribe at my Substack. That's kevinbarrett.substack.com. Or you could send a one-time PayPal donation to truthjihad at gmail.com. Welcome back. This is the second hour of today's Truth Jihad Radio live broadcast from Saidia, Morocco. You may hear some sheep bleeding in the background. That's right. They come around every evening at 6 o'clock. You can set your watch by them. Hear that? I don't know if you can, you can hear the sheep, but they're right outside my window. And uh, I'm a little sheepish about the fact that I have to keep my window open. But if I didn't, I would broil in this attic walk-up room from which I'm broadcasting. I haven't yet had the occasion to turn this into a professional studio. So you'll have to bear with me in terms of the noise, the echo, the bleating of sheep. Just see all of that. It's like scars in fine leather. It's a significance. It's the significant, signifying the authenticity of this live broadcast. All right, let's move on to somebody else who's been there. Brett uh, Redmayne Titley in the first hour has been there in the middle of all sorts of things in all sorts of places. And so has my second hour guest, Gordon Duff. Gordon is now running the Intel Drop, which is a pretty amazing publication. Uh, I have learned that you've got to use a web browser that doesn't get messed up with advertising to really appreciate the Intel Drop. But if you go there with the right browser, like the Brave browser, you will find a, a really rich source of information. And there are gems hidden between all of this massive amount of alternative media stuff. Uh, I don't know how Gordon does it. I guess we could ask him. But I, what I really want to ask him is about Imran Khan, who Gordon knows, and also what's really happening in Niger, because Gordon is tight with folks in high levels of power in Nigeria, which is, of course, involved in the Niger situation. So that's I, I had to call Gordon up to ask about this, and let's ask him. Hey, welcome, Gordon. What's up? Hey, so this is actually actual radio, radio here, so I bothered to put on a shirt thinking of... Because it's summer, and I mean, I'm. Uh, if I move from underwear to shorts in the summer, that's considered formal wear in Michigan. Well, well, you know, if you want to just take off all your clothes, that's fine because this is radio, and and all we right, don't care. All right, I'll I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> no, no, you don't the have to tell us. The rest about of it. you will have to picture it, or perhaps not. No, no, I'd, I'd rather uh, I'd rather look out my window at the sheep. Now, 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 Kev, we've got a we've got a couple of pretty horrific things going on. Uh, the Imran Khan issue is uh, the Intel drop. Uh, a little bit of background, and and this is a, this is important to the extent that it is a we'll call it medium neutral. Uh, we have a team out of Iceland that manages the site on legally protected servers. Last month there were the real number fifty nine thousand two hundred and seventeen attempts. To take the intel drop down, all fa- all failed, wow. and we have a gov- we have a government in Iceland that'll prosecute hackers. So now the uh, the issue here we have a European group, we have an Iceland group, we have a Syrian group, we have a small African group, we've got a little group in Russia, we've got a couple of people in Ukraine, and the real and I call it a cheap trick. But we're able to go through a fair amount of off, calling the U.S. onshore, and this is 
the Intel drop is more European than it is American, frankly. But uh, to that extent, it carries a fair number of environmental articles, uh, a certain amount of science, not too much medical stuff. A lot of Russian translated things. We take advantage of countries that just don't bother to control their media. And among those, Russia's got some pretty serious anti-Russian government media still alive and operating in the country. But we use, and this is the extent we know how to pick through the terrible stuff. And the Russians, it's very important that Americans learn about the Russian media. There's quite a bit of it out there. The Russians tend to be very critical of their own government, very sensitive about things. One of the most bothersome things, now I've worked for the Russian Academy of Science, and this has got me investigated by the Department of Justice more than several times. And just to mention, in those investigations, my chief, chief of my legal team, free legal team, is Stan Brandt. One of Trump's lawyers and the head of the Heritage Foundation. Hmm. And really, I, I, didn't, I didn't know you were tight with Heritage. I wouldn't have guessed that. Stan Brand used to be the chief attorney for the Democratic Party. That was Tip O'Neill's private attorney. And uh, it's the two. There's the two Stanleys actually, and that'll come up because one of them's uh, representing uh, a certain Panamanian. Uh, busboy that tends to lose boxes of documents. Uh, but when the uh, I had some difficulty with the Justice Department over veterans today, where you still are, and... Um, no, we, we changed our name to not be associated with the likes of you, Gordon. Yeah. <laughs> it's not well, VT Foreign Policy. Let, let me tell you, when the Justice Department came up with a list of articles they said were inspired by Russian paid agitators... Every single one of them was written by you. Yeah, I, I must be channeling Putin or something. I don't know how I do it. I, I thought it was hilarious. You know, I did send you the list off their, uh, off their uh, document. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, and what gets me is I, I, have, I don't have the slightest idea why they would think that. You know, because like normally people, they, they look at what I do and they go, well, he's Muslim and he's a 9-11 truther. And so really the only Muslim world government that's been consistently open to 9-11 truth is in Iran. And then Kevin flies over to Iran every now and then. So you'd think they would tar me with that. Like, how, how can some, I be Russian? We got, some, hey, we got some quality stuff to go through today. Now, and then, the, then they sent uh, the almost the entire staff. They arrived in a, in a single Dodge Durango, all three seats filled, of FBI counterintelligence. They came out to the house out here. Uh, I put them out in the, you know, of course, Kevin, Kevin stays here occasionally or did until he moved. Yeah, you got, you got plenty of room for like probably half of the upper echelon of the entire FBI in that house. Yeah. So I, I put them out on the, the mid floor deck out the back. You know, the one with the, 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 is that a Senzano umbrella on it? The little wine bar outfit. And Kara was feeding him Sam's Club chocolate cake. Yeah, that's all very pleasant. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I know. You know what? They're, they were really nice. They're nice young people. Uh, there's an issue with Opus Dei. It's a kind of a radical Catholic organization, and there's a lot of it. And the problem is 
I sat down with these guys, and I can be charming when I need to, but we got to be pretty good friends. And then they, all of the things that they didn't know about, I do, you know, and because they interagency wise, the FBI doesn't get talked to, and they've got a lot of curiosity about what goes on in Russia or Syria or wherever. And I work directly, like with Niger, like with Niger, for instance. Yeah, yeah. What's what's going uh, on there? Yeah. See, la- last uh, last week, I was named chief of security for the UN Human Rights Council, and uh, so I've been asked to fly there to provide security detail for the uh, negotiations between ECOWAS. Now, ECOWAS is run by Nigeria, where I'm <laughs> national security advisor to the president. So there's a little bit of, so I'm going to be, I'm going to have to actually sit on two sides of the table simultaneously. Uh, the issue, of course, is that the French have been holding on to most of their colonies along the Sahel. That's the pretty arid area north of, uh, mostly north of Nigeria, uh, across the Sahara. These countries uh, have all Pretty much they have agreements to give their national natural resources. With Niger, it's ungodly amounts of gold and one-third of the planet's uranium to just give it to the French. And then all of these countries, and it would be like Burkina Faso, Faso and Mali and whatever, any French company that operates within their country pays no taxes. Any French employees have extrality rights, meaning they can shoot people down on the street, like Trump, and walk away. So there's still colonies. So we have country after country that are, oh, let's say, have decided the French can go screw themselves. And then the U.S. is pushing Ghana and Nigeria, and I'm a, I'm a government advisor in Ghana as well, but on health care. Uh, but I've been working there for some time. Plus, I do, I do work with the army there anyway. And I'm just telling you, Ghana ain't going. <laughs> Ghana is incapable of deploying their T-55 Chinese tanks, which are in poor repair, about 900 miles across. Uh, first of all, across a lot of water, which tanks don't do so well with on non-existent roads. I mean, it's a pretty nasty thing. And the other part is Nigeria. Now, Nigeria, supposedly with their huge army, are going to invade Niger on behalf of the United States and the French. The problem being that most of Nigeria's army is Islamic. Uh, well, well, Gordon, let me, let me just ask kind of the obvious million-dollar question here, which is why does the United States want to maintain Niger as a French colony where the French can plunder their gold and uranium. I mean, what's in it for us? Well, the U.S. uses has a military base in Niger to protect against terrorists. In actuality, oh, please. the United States brought both ISIS and Boko Haram in, in combination with, with the French, and you and I know people in French intelligence, as you're well aware, uh, that they brought these organizations to Africa. And this was the joke you and I were talking about this 10, 15 years ago. You've got Boko Haram. It's a terrorist organization that, like the Taliban, hates technology. Now, these were the guys that stand there with one foot in the air and a spear at their side, you know, and uh, 
they were going to take on, you know, northern Nigeria and terrorist raids. Well, as soon as they uh, they got their care packages from the U.S. and I will tell you France and Israel, they suddenly showed up. These technology hating people were driving brand new uh, Toyota Tundra pickup trucks. They all had sat phones. They even had a few air defense weapons. And so for the past few years, government after government, I, I, I write, I write the uh, uh, defense profiles in this. First, they wanted to get airships, and that's from uh, an Israeli-owned company, uh, Skyship Services. By the way, nice people. When you say they, uh, you're talking about the government, not, not Boko Haram. No, no, they, <laughs> they used American helicopters. They, they and they've got F-16s flying air cover for them. They don't need help. They're doing just fine. But the real target, the real target, and I, I wrote an article in 2011 called Nigeria Targeted for Destruction. And this is my Donald Trump moment here, but, and it was the most, it's the most read article on Africa ever written, by the way. Um, and that's see, I think it was I was there in eleven for the inauguration of President uh, Goodluck Jonathan. And uh, matter of fact, I have uh, <laughs> we're cleaning the house today. I have the former uh, uh, Attorney General of Nigeria and his wife coming here for five days to stay at the house. They're going to go to the beach for a couple of days, and then we're I'm getting hairy, and we're going to be driving to Detroit with. We'll have Mike Chester from VT and then Jim Dean. And we're going to go down and visit the Eastern Market and tourists around Detroit where I'm a pretty good tour guide. But uh, well, that sounds like fun, Gordon. There, you know, it's, it's, it's so hot here in Saidia, Morocco, and then the, the Mediterranean is so warm. It's like a warm bathtub. It doesn't cool you down. I'm ready to go to your beach, just a, a block and a half well, from your the, house. That the, nice cold Michigan water that, would be great. The guys in Iceland just called and said the water offshore there is 75 degrees. Uh-oh. They don't swim in the hot pools anymore. They're out in the Atlantic. The Atlantic has gone up 18 degrees summer temperature off Iceland. Some of that's the the trail of the still existing Gulf. Uh, well, we should need to catch up on some of these things we've rounded around here. The issue with Niger is that Niger certainly is an issue where the U.S. can leverage France because Macron is trying to play both sides against the middle. And he's quite a he's quite an unpleasant little character. But we have so many of them that it's pretty hard to deal with. The issue is if if Nigeria can be pushed to move militarily against Niger, the truth is that Nigeria is going to collapse, not Niger. And that's the whole idea. Wait, now, who wants to collapse Nigeria? Well, Nigeria is full of anthracite coal, <laughs> some of the best in the world. And, and God only knows, we've got people who love heating this planet up. And burning coal, <laughs> if you're one of those people that thinks that, no, it's just weather... <laughs> You're a little late on that one, you know. Yeah, I've been arguing this with Jimmy Walter, Gordon. I don't know if you know Jimmy, but he's uh, he, he's one of these people who thinks the whole climate change thing is a big hoax, and so I, I've been going back and forth with him on that. Well, the the entire the <laughs> the climate change is a hoax uh, is a 
an offshoot of an earlier similar issue the same people were behind and that's that cigarettes are good for you yeah yeah that, so well, that, that's what david years, Ray griffin points out in his book unprecedented or which is that? Yeah, yeah yeah, yeah. And, and all of those people are on the the payroll of what used to be the coke brothers and i think we've only got one brother the other one is is helping satan rule rule hell right now uh Let's 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 finish. So 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 oh, wait, wait. So, so so people want to grab all that uh, coal from Nigeria after it collapses. Well, Nigeria has coal, and Nigeria has more than a smattering of oil. They also have a massive supply of LNG. But, it, but is, it, is it easier to grab all that stuff when they've been collapsed by getting them to go after Niger in a self-destructive way? Yeah, because you don't have to pay for it then. <laughs> right, gotcha. Yeah. Oh, boy. And, and now today, of course, they uh, and, and Nigeria doesn't have any money because they found out over the past couple of weeks, the trial started today, the head of their uh, national bank uh, stole their entire treasury. Not for the first time. This is kind of a regular thing in Nigeria. That's why Nigeria has that kind of representation. You know, uh, reputation. Yeah, anybody who had an email account like 10, 10 to 30 years ago probably got several emails from people like that. Oh, now let's, let's do a, a, a roll around on the FBI here. So these kids from the FBI are out here, okay? And then in 2019, the FBI uh, wanted me to come on board in counterterrorism, and they're still asking me to do or, or not counter. The counterterrorism people are our goofy ex-cop friends of mine, they're, they're actually nice people. The counterintelligence people are a little, you'd call them a little too tightly wound, I guess. But fine. Yeah, Carol, the, the counterintel people, and you're, you're on radio here, the, you thought they were nice kids? Yeah. yeah, they were always pleasant. Yeah, I took them around, walked the grounds with them, you know. <laughs> and anyway, I also figured counterintel must be pretty weird if it produces people like James Angleton. Well, these are it, mostly it's, you know, young Ph.D. folks who, oh, I don't know, they get led around by the nose a little too easily inside organizations. Now, their boss here, I don't know if we should go through this or not, but last week, slightly secretly, the person who asked them to visit me, and you'll have to maybe look this up, was just found guilty of spying for Russia. <laughs> <laughs> Did oh, you know that? That that's uh, supreme irony, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'll teach yeah, him that to mess a, with uh, Gordon. Okay. <laughs> but uh, in in nineteen, uh, they uh, hired the presidential suite at Betsy DeVos's hotel called the Amway Grand. Uh, it used to be the old Pantland Hotel, quite a nice hotel for the Midwest. You know, big old whatever. And uh, I recorded six one-hour videos uh, to be used at Quantico uh, for, it's called Tradecraft, um, the basic cold. I'm a, I'm a leftover from the Cold War, and the basics of international spy work intelligence collection uh, is not really available to FBI people, nor even there's there's quite probably no one at the CIA who does this either. And any of the rest of us who were 
mostly trained by former Stasi people, by the way, uh, who were way smarter than all of our people. And of course, you know, that's a, that love, the, the CIA's love of Nazidom, you know, the, the key point to understand historically is that the OSS, you know, those are those people that they used to jump into uh, France during World War II and blow up those German ammo trains. Yeah, Wild Bill Donovan's wild guys. Yeah, well, Wild Bill Donovan, uh, until the start of the war, spent most of his time in Russia, or not Russia, but sorry, but Nazi Germany, because Wild Bill Donovan was a close personal friend and advisor to Adolf Hitler. Yeah, he, well, he, he was in Switzerland, wasn't he, most of the time? No, no. Donovan Donovan was a Wall Street lawyer that was in Germany. Uh, Hitler and Goring were close friends of his, and they're interesting people, frankly. But he was a very he was probably the most powerful pro-Nazi in the U.S. Now the Dulles brothers, that was Alan Dulles and John Foster Dulles, were Hitler's patent attorneys inside the U.S. And they, uh, Alan Dulles in particular, was the one that was sent to Switzerland supposedly at the request of. Uh, and this is one of those historical things. If we got any of those people out in the audience today. That that was done at the request of Churchill, who hated the Dulleses uh, because they were pro-Nazi Americans. And, you know, remember Adolf Hitler in 1940 was Time Magazine's Man of the Year. Uh, Hitler had a huge following through the throughout the Midwest, particularly inside the Republican Party and virtual control of, of a, a vet, really a huge veterans organization called the American Legion. And well, that's well, where well, the, I mean, weren't a lot of those people just basically seeing Hitler as kind of a, a useful counterweight to Stalin, that the Russians, the communists were the real problem, and that, you know, Hitler was basically, if anything, a, a useful idiot at worst and on our side at best kind of thing? No, not really. No? Okay. Uh, People may have been a little better educated then than they are. It isn't that the newspapers were so much better. They were so much less worse. Mm. So there, there was the possibility of getting at least some news then. And right now it's almost impossible. And that's why the huge staff putting together the Intel drop just to provide some, and it's an exhaustive 80 articles a day from around the world. And uh, if you can't find 10 that are way better than anything the entire American media has, I'll I'll eat my, my aging military ID card on camera for you. And that would be bad enough. Yeah, but, well, um, I mean, people definitely should check out the Intel drop. Uh, but again, make sure you use the Brave browser or, or else turn on your anti-advertising software. The, well, that's just an ad blocker. Uh, yeah, yeah. Every every browser ha has uh, the uh, capability of using an ad blocker extension. Most people use Chrome uh, typically, just barely. Although the new Microsoft Edge is quite excellent now, surprisingly. And the Bing search engine, if you're in Microsoft Edge, uh, has their... Uh, I call it what well, chat is their AI 
And if you were doing a search of any kind, it's better to search in the Bing AI. Not that it's not. Every third day or so, they go in and put in an algorithm because they're desperately afraid that somebody will say something bad about apartheid Israel. You know, and that's all of the AIs are in terror of ever having a single negative word about is Israel's war crimes come out to the public. You know, so that that tends to keep the AIs on the back burner for anybody that would depend on them. Probably the biggest thing today, and this is let me manically jump into this. There is evidence today, and I have been on with one of the NATO intelligence agencies where I have a contract to supply analytical docs for them. Uh, The most recent analysis, which if it was the thing that I wrote this morning, and then I was told it was so classified that I'm not allowed to reread it or edit it. Uh, the intelligence. Uh, what we're expecting. <clears throat> Bolton has a little group of friends. John Bolton, our former UN ambassador, a mustache with no brain behind it, a man with probably one of the people in Washington with the least amount of personal character and dignity. And then I'm saying that. Yeah, and that's saying a lot. That's, it's saying more than a lot. Anyway, Bolton and the gang at the Atlantic Council, which is the uh, supposed think tank funded by really, really, really bad people that oversees NATO. Yeah, well, they, the ones, they came after me, you know. They, they put a huge picture of me, actually a very flattering picture of me, uh, as part of their, you know, the world's top eight uh, COVID conspiracy super spreaders. They put this huge picture of me in my backyard and then told people what 900-person town I lived in. <laughs> oh, goodness, thanks. I, I didn't know that. I would have driven out to see it. Plus, I could have gotten a trip, you know, just to see you. I, I only have to go on that little boat across the river, or the, across the river, across yeah, Lake Yeah, well, unfortunately, we, we sold that place, and so you're going to have to go across the Atlantic Ocean to see me now. Yeah. Well, you know, I I, I may actually show up at the door mooching. I mean, we, we do that with each other from time to time. Uh, anyway, this is this is the, the plan, and this is officially being looked into by organizations governmental organizations within NATO that are feeling that, and we could call it the U.S., but as far as foreign policy goes, I don't think any anybody in the U.S. runs the U.S. for foreign policy. And that talk, everyone listening has been exposed to so much, and I can't add anything intelligent to it, but that a group within within NATO, controlled by the Atlantic Council, funded by what Robert David Steele called the mega millionaires, billionaires in in this case, Um, 10 of them, uh, eight of them uh, carry Israeli passports uh, in particular. They are planning a biological or chemical attack on Ukraine. And this is to coincide with yesterday's publication, which is only available at the Intel drop in the position paper published by the Atlantic Council yesterday, advocating that NATO, I'm not making this up, uh, can manage, safely manage a moderate 
two-front nuclear conflict in Asia. <laughs> well, what, what a great uh, idea. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a, a land war in Asia is brilliant enough, but if you turn it into a two-front limited nuclear exchange, that makes it even better. Yeah. The... Uh, and now they the Atlantic the the Atlantic Council used the term Asia and West West Asia, but when you were done reading, they were talking about Ukraine, and that's about a twelve hundred mile drive to get to the other side of the Ural Mountains, or south you know south to Turkey, which eh, you know two hundred fifty miles, but uh, I always thought Ukraine was in Europe. That's you know what do I know about that? But uh, the the Russians are absolutely and totally. Not, they're not only kicking Ukraine's ass; it's actually becoming like a party in Russia. Russia's uh, Putin has never been so popular. The Russians, wherever they're getting their weapons from, this is like. Oh, and my area would be military technology. That's kind of that was a day job for years explaining it. The Russians have an artillery shell called a Krasnopol. A Krasnopol can be fired out of a 50-year-old, 70-year-old artillery piece, even one from World War II. It fires around, oh, but 25 kilometers. Now, the issue is that a Krasnopol can hit a tank in the rain 25 miles away while the tank's moving 45 miles an hour every single time. <laughs> no, no wonder the uh, uh, Ukrainian counteroffensive isn't going anywhere. Yeah. So, and uh, the Russians are building about 200 of these a day at a cost of around $35,000. They are, they just brought up uh, production now to 1,000 shells a day, that'll be in about three months. And the cost is going down to about $5,000, which is still a lot of money in Russia, mind you. Every one of those $5,000 shells destroys a vehicle uh, that costs an, a, a minimum of $2 million, between one and eight, if you're talking a... Uh, uh, a leopard tank, if there are any that they haven't blown up already, they're still around. They can be hit anywhere. All of them have a thermal signature, and every little shit drone that the uh, uh, Russians send out has thermal cameras on it and a, la and a laser targeter. And so the Orlan drones, hundreds of them are floating around. They fly all day long. All they have to do is find somebody driving down a road with anything, then somebody 15 miles away <laughs> and a 60-year-old uh, gun puts this artillery round in with a, uh, a TV camera in the front of it, pops it out. It goes up in the air, communicates with the drone and the gun glass uh, system, and then looks for the target as it, as it comes in. And... Uh, we had one hit a striker vehicle yesterday that was going 60 miles an hour and got got popped. And when one of these popped something, we actually had the uh, the turret of a leopard tank, a leopard two, go high enough in the air <laughs> when hit by one of these that it might have been considered a contender for the space program. 
Hmm. We're thinking maybe 1,500 feet for a 12-ton turret in wow. the air. That was sky, sky high tanks and sky high uh, cost to the taxpayer of sending them over to Ukraine. Well, what, the issue, of course, is that as with, and this is kind of the kind of the point, as with the Niger and Nigeria, the real victim saving Niger, you know, from freedom fighters and an independent non-colonial government saving them from the good guys, of course, and that's always the American job, has been, well, for a really, really long time, seemingly. And, I, and I'm down to think, World War One, yep. Spanish-American War, yep. <laughs> certainly there, and then certainly World War Two. There was a time, I mean, when... Oh, I was probably even uh, capable of saying that, you know, there may have been a reason for World War II. Nope. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, yeah, we, we, we have a pretty unerring ability to pick out the, the worst guys and help, help them out against the least worst guys. Um, so, you know, and before we quit this, we're, we're definitely going to have to talk about Pakistan because Imran Khan is one of the very least worst oh. leaders of anybody on earth. And, uh, of course, the U.S. government had a big hand in his overthrow and now his imprisonment. Well, the, the, the work for that I republished, but it's out of The Intercept. Um, and that would be the theintercept.com, which is a pretty good independent news site, uh, as along with The Gray Zone. And there are others, Common Cause, you know, uh, Portside is, a, is an excellent site. Lots of things that you can find out there. And. Stick in your memory bar and, you know, try to set, you know, whatever time you can to bring your head back in line because every other bit of information that's going to sneak into it from YouTube and social media and whatever is going to be so utterly false. It's, I, I have difficulty wondering how they can find people. And then of course, yes, I know because I've met Stu Webb, but, uh, that's a, that yeah. was a, a minor dig and a long story. Well, I, yeah, I think my listeners all realize that the mainstream story that you know Putin has been on the brink of dying of cancer and the Russians have been on the brink of completely losing you know every single day since this war began and all of this stuff uh, is is pretty laughable. But uh, you know, to, to me, with this Imran Khan thing, I really want you to talk more about that because you actually okay. you know advised him and and you you told me about Imran Khan long before most people knew much about his political career. You told me he was going to be yeah. the leader of Pakistan at least five or if not eight or nine years before he did become the prime minister. And you know, he's a nine eleven truther like us and a decent, honest guy and a Muslim of the type that I really respect and like and emulate. And now he's been railroaded into prison. And so that's really an outrage. I just wanted to hear what you had to say about that. Uh, my relationship there is that I know him as the head of a failed political party from long ago. I sat through one of the elections with him. Um, I had uh, Jeff Gates from the IMF with me. We were, I, I was, I was there in, uh, to meet with uh, Pakistani uh, officials, head of the military, uh, the head of the ISPR public relations, and then the uh, ISI, that was General Posh at the time. You, you met Hamid Ghul too, right? 
Oh, Hamid Gul and I were always we were good friends for a long time. Gul is he's the he's the most hilarious guy. Yeah, he's a he's great guy. About, he actually came on my show, but I, I wish no, I'd taken about, you up on getting Imran Khan on the show. Yeah, he was about four foot ten. I was staying at his house with uh, with Raja and Rawapendi, and uh, Gul, when he talks to me, he almost comes off the ground because he's been dead for some time. Uh, they they've lived off. They owned the bus the bus uh, company in Rawapendi, which is the northern Pakistani military town that's just a ways from Islamabad, which is also a mold-covered, crappy, backwoods national capital. Lahore and Karachi are a lot more interesting, but they're also, you know, 700 miles south. Anyway, uh, Imran Khan is charismatic. Imran Khan is as close to meeting Jack Kennedy as I as I would have gotten. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's who he is. And one of the things I told Imran Khan was, he said, you know, it'd be a lot easier to get you elected president of the United States than head of Pakistan, which is the most gutless and corrupt country on earth. Although I I know and I know everybody there. You know, we have, we have a, a pretty good sized staff in Pakistan. Uh, we've got three Pakistani generals on staff at the intel drop. Um, the, the the ordinary pa- people of Pakistan actually uh, seem to be hungry for somebody like Imran Khan to try to bring well, some honesty and discipline that, uh, back. That, that between one and three million of them have been in the streets for the last year in the largest demonstrations ever held on earth and that not one report has ever entered the American media at any time about yeah, yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. And, uh, and this is the guy here. Imran Khan was married to Jemima Goldsmith. Okay. And that's Jemima is still, you know, his ex-wife girlfriend. He got married about seven, eight years ago. It lasted a couple of months. It was kind of a disaster. Uh, now, Jemima Gold, uh, Goldsmith is the niece, niece of Lord Rothschild. Are we getting an idea how much money is available to Imran Khan? Imran Khan was, oh, if you go back into the 80s or whatever, he was the international playboy of all time. Private jets, billionaire. What did he spend his own money on? And by the way, he's the, the greatest cricket player in history. He's an athlete. He's a professional athlete. That's his, that's his real job, you know. And outside, in any country where the British had ruled, cricket is the sport, is a way of life. And the greatest cricket player, the, if you were talking the, what Pele is to soccer, Imran Khan is to cricket. He's an athlete. Well, Imran Khan made an awful lot of money and then married into actual trillions of dollars real trillions, and his own money went, first of all, to build Pakistan's first cancer hospitals, okay? He has given away everything he's ever had to the people of Pakistan. And when I talk about sitting there uh, 2009 or whatever, an, an election, I'm in his office with him. It's a small building with no light, he's got a Coleman lantern on his desk. And I have the leader of the Baluchistan, that's an area south of Afghanistan, a separatist uh, area in Pakistan. And that's where my wife's people come from, by the way. Uh, her last yeah. name is Baluchi. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. And well, anyway, uh, the head of their revolutionary council was sitting on the couch next to me. He was wrapped up like, like the mummy. He'd been shot three times earlier that day, and he was going to go through the election count anyway. Uh, and he was actually, he was dripping. <laughs> now, that's a tough, that's a tough guy, you know. But uh, if you were to go out in the, uh, you know, just go out and buzz around with somebody in the car with you, you know, all day, Imran Khan's your choice. You know, he's a perfect. Yeah, that, I, I really wish I'd taken up your offer and gotten him on the radio back 15 years ago. And, of course, uh, his issue is that uh, he refused to back the United States or to back the United States against Russia over Ukraine, simply because any mildly educated person knows. Let me explain one thing about Ukraine here. This will be something that maybe help you put things in uh, focus. The Ukraine, there is no war in Ukraine. There is no country called Ukraine. Now, you hear varying versions of that, but there's a real version behind this. Before the U.S. initiated a coup in 2014 to overthrow the government of Ukraine, uh, there were agreements in place that Ukraine uh, would never belong to NATO, that NATO would never expand eastward. Now, those agreements you know, are in place. Those are written agreements between Russia, the Soviet Union, and Russia, and the United States. Well, wait, wait, Gordon. If, if there are written agreements to that effect, why haven't the Russians produced them? I thought they said that there were oral agreements. There are written agreements. Uh, because tied to the written agreements were massive payoffs to Russian officials. Okay. One of the $365 million. Because those, those agreements got violated very early on. I mean, yeah. in the night. Well, but let's, let's say this. So it's 2014, and we have... Uh, Neo-Nazis who were trained across Eastern Europe, mostly at CIA uh, facilities inside Poland. They have one that's 11,000 acres where the coup conspirators, the, the snipers and others, were trained and the coup was planned. It's also where they have a, a NATO secret prison where they have mass graves, by the way, for sure, of imaginary terror suspects, and that means cab drivers, kids, pediatricians, whatever, in the early days of the global war on terror, uh, Bush and Cheney put a number out there to gangsters around the world, get me any Muslim between 18 and 65 that you can drag up here, we'll toss them in a prison in one of these come-along gutless countries like Ethiopia or Poland, We'll keep them for a while, then we'll take them out, hit them in the back of the head with a four-pound hammer, and uh, throw dirt on them. And, of course, that 11,000 acres where the mass graves uh, are in Poland is permanently under CIA ownership and one of the most secure places on Earth. <laughs> and any imaginable horrible thing, be it a chemical weapon, be it a biological weapon, be it, be it a burial place. It's all, it's all there in Poland. 
And uh, you can actually find it all on Google Earth if you wanted to search. But a key thing to remember is this. That coup never ended because they were never able to conquer the whole country. That coup is ongoing. The Ukrainian the war, which is really the offshoot of a nine-year-old civil war, is in actuality a continuation of a failed coup because 25% of the country never went along with it and they're still fighting, still resisting. Yeah, yeah, I, well, I, I agree. And, and Imran Khan, of course, was right about that, but that didn't stop the Americans from railroading him and overthrowing his government to punish him for being too cozy with Moscow. And so now, and this was, a, and this were, these were the things that, uh, one of the things that the intel drop was tasked with is to make sure the American media would be bombarded every day because we have staff in Pakistan uh, that every day I would run between three and ten articles on Imran Khan by Pakistani uh, journalists until, and this is you keep doing the same thing over and over, and you know either it, nothing happens and you're crazy, or if you stick to things, we manage to to fish the intel drop, folks, and then, you know, some years ago I made friends with the Washington Post. God help me. Uh, then the Washington Post followed up and started asking questions. Then the New York Times. So now we have American media is discussing because they now have the, the full text of the American uh, document telling the Pakistani government to remove their elected head of state. And of course, this week now, the U.S. is concerned that Pakistan might not have free and independent elections to replace the individual that the U.S. had removed. And they're concerned because the U.S. ordered that opposition political parties in Pakistan, as with Ukraine, be eliminated. So the U.S. ordered one-party elections only, fake elections in Pakistan, like the no elections in Ukraine, and then publicly we're questioning whether they're going to be fair and honest. <laughs> what a great country this is. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's because democracy is in peril, right? I mean, that's the new byline. You know, everywhere here in America, it's all Trump's fault. And you, you all, know in all these other countries, it's, you know, we're, we're running around destroying democracy oh. and then whining about how democracy is falling on hard times. No, no, Kevin, Kevin. Democracy is doing absolutely well. Just go to Iceland. It's there. It's on vacation. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, my uh, Truth Jihad website takes you to Iceland, too, because if you have that IS domain name, it's harder to take you down. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 been, it's been a joy. And uh, I don't know if you've, if you've had a chance to uh, spend time in Iceland. Carol and I uh, 
I have visited Iceland a couple of times. I, I was actually just uh, talking with somebody about maybe trying to meet them in Iceland uh, next summer. I'm not sure I can handle an entire summer here in Saidia, Morocco. It's just oh, no, it's very course. hot. It's very crowded. It's very noisy. Be nice to get up to Iceland for at least a few weeks. Well, yeah, yeah. things in Iceland are a little pricey. Uh, about 20 miles from the uh, uh, airport, there's a Russian-owned hotel which can go to 60 a night. But typically in U.S. dollars, that's about 300 for a hotel. Airbnbs, okay. I was actually staying with an Iceland family in their apartment, mind you, and we're in the bedroom down the hall. And then I remember they took off. We were left left taking care of the kids. But then again, the people we were with were unbelievably pleasant and made our trip a lot better because, you know, a few hours talking. This is a guy that uh, ran a local golf club. And uh, they were unbelievably helpful. It's probably the most pleasant place I've ever been in my life. Uh, clean, nice people. Everyone doesn't just speak English. They speak English way better than we do. And then Reykjavik, uh, it's a bit of a party town. And, uh, you know, you've got Old Town Reykjavik, which is like a, a whaling village. About a square mile of it, but lots of coffee shops and bars and places to pick up fentanyl if you really have to. And uh, prices are a little unreasonable, so you're not going to be hitting a lot of restaurants. They've got a Chili's in their, they've got in the food court in their mall, and a hamburger's around around forty bucks. Uh, you're actually dissuading me. I think I'll stay here in Saidia and eat incredible meals for five bucks. Yeah. So you get- what you have to do, grocery store, everything comes from Denmark. So you can get pretty decent bread, even, you know, and then cheeses, uh, sausage at a grocery store, affordably, really nice things. This smoked item there is, you know, way beyond anything we see here. But you're eating the same crap. And then uh, not much restaurant eating. And then as far as saying, if you can camp, uh, in summer, it goes down into the probably about maybe 50 at night and it'll hit 80 occasionally. Uh, but it is, since it's one of the most beautiful places on earth, you get over it really easy. Yeah, and well, that, even, that sounds like fun. And, and, and it's a relatively non-corrupt government, I understand. They, they got through oh, the 2008 it goes, thing. It goes way past that. Uh, there's so much transparency there, you can't stand it. Uh, it is. Try me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. I don't think anybody gets away with anything there. I don't think they they don't have a lot of government anymore. <laughs> they, uh, everybody pretty much went to jail once, and nobody wanted to come back and deal with the fallout. You know that that's that's the country that sent all of their bankers to jail. Yeah, yeah. But if it, the whole world had done that, things might be different. Reykjavik is probably. Uh, a cleaner and more beautiful city than anything in Europe. Nothing comes close. It, and still has a little, you know, a little bit of underarm going on there. But uh, hey, I used to know a rock star kind of guy named Siggy. Uh, he, he was at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He'd been in a very uh, successful Icelandic rock band that sold a lot of records internationally. And, and they, it sounded like there was a pretty thriving sort of artistic, cultural, creative scene there. 
sounds like an interesting place. But, you know, Gordon, we only have a well, few minutes left here. So maybe we, we should get your take on where this is all going. Uh, is, is the U.S. empire going to collapse to the point that we're going to have to stop doing all these dirty deeds and bring all those military guys home and let the world discover the bodies buried in Poland and all that sort of thing? It is. Here's a hypothesis, and I, and I, I won't give it a 90. I'll give it less than that. It's humanly possible that Biden's domestic policies have been better than competent. Economically, we are rock solid here. Uh, jobs and the federal government, for the first time in a very long time, is enforcing to what degree it can the rights of everyday Americans. Foreign policy, I don't think it could get worse. You know, it just... Uh, this Victorian Newland thing, and I'm hoping you will explain that to others at some point, uh, that the only thing Biden could, they could either have something so powerful on Biden that <laughs> how can you, how can you sit there and kill a thousand Ukrainian conscripts a day? You know, you go to Kiev, the uh, nightclubs and cafes are filled with military age uh, kids of the rich and certain ethnic persuasions, which I can't mention because I don't want to be accused of anti-Semitism. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll scratch our heads. I, I, wanted to get, I wanted to get that giggle out of you on that one. Uh, and then what you also see is if I were in Ukraine or Kevin, we would be dragged off the street and put in the military. Uh, yeah, right, right beside Gonzalo Lira. Yeah, yeah and. What we're watching are press gangs. They're picking up uh, diabetics. They've got they've got people they have in their five day military training program. It's five days long, uh, who are autistic, <laughs> and yet we've got eighteen to twenty year olds, thousands of them. And of course, Zelensky last week said that it's been it's been an embarrassment, and he wants people to stay away from the clubs. That's what that's about. And then they also, uh, their military uh, recruiting organization, they found was were selling uh, passes. You didn't have to die if you had 10000 in cash. So he fired a bunch of people and then replaced them with more of the same. But, you know, that's, that's sort of more or less expected. But Biden, and this is, I'm former military Marine Corps. I'm an actual combat vet. And the idea, and... Loosely, I would say I'm a, I want to I want to see the Russians win this as quickly as possible because it's the overall best thing for the United States. Yeah, it yeah. is. The, it's the best thing for this country, and more and more Americans are seeing it. Uh, and despite the propaganda, Kevin and I might be hitting like the twenty percent range for support on this right now. You know who knows? Well, 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 Gordon, the thing though is that of all of the people who are outraged about this U.S. support for Ukraine. Uh, 90% of them are the extreme right, you know, the people who are like Trump only more so. And, and the whole, most of the left in the mainstream is still marching behind, you know, this, uh, support Zelensky kind of crap. So, you know, and, that, not... and that's the force frightening. I watch Amy Goodman and her crying for, for Zelensky, you know, because yeah, they share some other issues. And I'm, I'm with Marjorie Taylor Greene over Amy Goodman. Uh, yeah. Other than the fact she's, you know, she's got some other problems, but 
this is somebody, and that's one of our readers, you know, as as, as Trump always has been. Now, you know, you know, we're, we're, we're probably going to have to drop this. I think we're right at the end of the show here. I, I yeah. do see the music. Well, but. the issue I, I was hoping that Trump would come out for Imran Khan. They got to know each other pretty well. And, uh, hmm. you know, they were both, you know, Imran Khan was a serious skirt chaser for a long time. Of course, Imran Khan... Physically fit, charismatic, and extremely attractive, as opposed to yeah, yeah, to well, like, like RFK Jr. But we'll we'll have to talk about him another time and, and argue about him because this show is over. Thank you so much, Gordon Duff. Always good checking in with you. Looking forward to visiting you in your mansion by the lake, or you can come visit my mansion by the sea. Okay, bye bye. Bye. This is Kevin here at TruthyHead.com, Truthyhead Radio. See you all next week, same time, same channel.